Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And just a few questions. Are you sleeping at night? He doesn't sleep at all. I know that. I live here, Dad. Sorry to bother you. I know it's very late. We're both night owls, I think. Nighttime to some, a brief interlude. To others, the fear solitude show a little faith there's magic in the night jay talking bradley J. wbz news radio 10 30 you are jay talking we're live midnight to five bradley here how you doing yeah candy leonard here and uh, her book is beatleness how the beatles and the fans remade the world that's big stuff it is big stuff so you are a sociologist this is true and you take a look at the Beatles through those sociological eyes, correct? Yeah. And you talk about how there's this group of people something wonderful happened to, and that wonderful <laughs> thing was the Beatles, and how the, together the Beatles and the fans changed the world. Right. I mean, the, the subtitle was, we, my publisher and I put an enormous amount of thought and conversation and time into you know, what the subtitle would be, because you know, people always say the Beatles changed everything. And what I discovered through this, my research is that the way to think about it is the fans, it's actually the fans, really, together the Beatles and the fans changed everything because the Beatles inspired this generation to see the world differently, think about things differently, question things that never were questioned before. Do you have any evidence that it was the Beatles that got them to do this? Or is it perhaps... A coincidence. A coincidence? Yeah. Well, they happened to be, maybe it was the time, and the band, the band was here, we were here, we did go forward together, but is there a cause and effect, I'm guessing? I well, guess I'm I, I think there is. I mean, certainly there was a larger context, larger historical context to what was going on in the culture in the early 60s, and, you know, there was the Vietnam War was, was heating up, there were civil rights issues, there were... You know, it was during the Cold War. So there's a lot of stuff going on in the culture at that time. But one of the things that was, what was happening, too, is that if you look in pop culture at that time, it started to be kind of ironic and self-reflective and sort of cynical. So you have this kind of um, coming out of the cold, you know, the conservative 50s. You had this kind of um, throwing off of conformity and, uh, you know, the, and so the and the Beatles were certainly representative of that. They represented it, but did they cause it? You're a sociologist. Well, you see they, the fifties, the and people have haircuts and they're Ward Cleaver, and all of a sudden, they're George Harrison. Exactly. Well, right. And did did the Beatles cause that, or did they? Well, well it was the, everyone along for the big ride. The time, the timing was right. I mean, it was really a perfect storm. The technology was in place. You had you know kids walking around with transistor radios, which you could go into the drugstore and buy one for like save your allowance for few weeks go by a radio. The demographics, I mean, the size of our generation was huge. And so they, so right off the bat, they had a larger fan base than Elvis had or Sinatra or any, you know, major act that came before that also had, you know, that kind of buzz around them. So, you know, it was the technology, the demographics, the economy was, was 
pretty good people, you know, could, I mean, Beatle fandom was, for the most part, I would say a white middle class phenomenon. And, you know, you, you could go and, you know, you could just, just it, it was a moment of things happening. Things were opening up in the culture. So I, maybe you see it like I see it as sort of a feedback loop. The, the people changed the Beatles and the Beatles changed them back and, and enabled them to feel free to change. Well, you know, when you talk to, in the book, I interviewed about 150 fans for the book, and we talked about, you know, one of the issues that people love, Beatle fans love talking about is how they felt after seeing them on Ed Sullivan. I mean, if you look at advertising, let's say, um, you know, 64, in 1964, and you go look at advertising in late 65. It looks completely Does different. It? Can you give yes. me an idea how? I'm sure you can. How was it? Like, yeah, I, fa- I, Joe Namath, take it off, take it all off? The fashion was different. There was... High um, karate is so <laughs> excellent that I have to fight off the women? Is that a... Six, well, that, that, came, a, that came a little later, I think. Yeah, that was a little later. That, see, then there's the whole sexual revolution thing, which that was part of. And, you know, the, I, you know... I mean, there, well, the other thing that happened in the early 60s was the birth control pill. So there were a lot of things happening yeah. in the culture at that time. And there was the, see, I feel that a key cult, uh, sociological factor was the bomb and the fact that there really was no tomorrow. Well, You that, didn't really have a, any reasonable expectation. You would live a normal life, get a house, grow old, have grandchildren. I don't know about you, but I fully expect it to blow up. Right. Well, we were told, you know, that we would have these kind of, you know, that like you just saying, you get ma- you, you know, go to school, get married, have kids. But um, yeah, we we were the first generation to live in that shadow of nuclear wars, and we also experienced the assassination of our president seventy nine days before the Beatles' appearance on Ed Sullivan's show. So it was it was kind of an interesting time to grow up. There were you know the the culture was very much in transition. You get this. I got the sense. I get the sense now. If you look back, that the culture was kind of seen to be busted, and it was the revolution from a broken culture. Running away from it. Is it you're, well, are you was, rolling your eyes or are you nodding? Um, both. <laughs> no, I wasn't rolling my eyes. I mean, I, I think what happened was that young people started to see that there was a lot of hypocrisy. Um, okay. You know, and you know, even by 62, 63 on college campuses, you already had the SDS and, and, you know, students were beginning to question the materialism of our culture, the military, the civil rights issues. So there was a lot of stuff happening. And so the Beatles appear in the middle of this um, really, you know, a moment that was so ripe for change. And they came, and I started to say before that fans talk about, you know, they remember that evening when they saw them on the Ed Sullivan Show. And, they're, you know, as, a, as really a, a transformative moment in their lives. Because the Beatles came along and... Through their appearance, their attitude, the music, the sound, their humor, everything about them kind of said, okay, enough already. Let's let's have fun. Now, what you know? about, so you feel they were revolutionary right away. You don't feel they started out as sort of status quo, only excellent at it, really great band, and then evolved with everyone. You feel that they were already different when they arrived. Oh, absolutely. Can you explain why that is? Because to me, and it's only through my ignorance that I don't see it, I'm sure to me I see these mop tops being kind of like other bands I see on the Ed Sullivan Don't call reruns. them a boy band. Do not reruns. call them a boy band. <laughs> you know, why aren't they a boy band? 
they if you take a look at them and you're you're a sociologist, they probably have a lot of the same factors, right? That's why you had to say that. Well, people refer to them as a boy band because they're four good-looking guys who had their pictures taken a lot. But to me, boy band is like in, in sync and you know Backstreet Boys and that. People, why aren't they the uh, '60s version of that? Because the Beatles were writing their own music, okay. performing their good own point. music, took control of the publishing. They they were artists. Okay. Now we didn't necessarily know the extent of their artistry in 64, but certainly by 65 we did. And, you know, you asked before, like, had what was so spectacular about them? What was so different? As I said, the attitude, the music, the, the, the hair. I mean, and, and this is really kind of an interesting thing. When I talk about um, the Beatles, like, you know, to, at a, in a college setting or with younger people, they, don't, they, they can't imagine that hair of the Beatles in 64 being so so much of a big deal, but it was, it was shocking, you know, and oh, they look like girls, they look like girls, and so soon, you know, like overnight, boys start growing their hair, and, you know, parents, you know, even parents who liked the Beatles, you know, a little bit, they didn't like the long hair, you know, the, I mean, the, see, the worst thing as, as a parent in 1964, the worst thing is to have your kid have long hair and appear to be like a nonconformist, you know, everybody, you know, things were, if you look at the, the kids on line, you know, there's photographs of the kids standing on line to get into a hard day's night, which was six months after the Sullivan appearance. You know, they look kind of, you know, it's, and then you look at, you know, people lining up to see help a year later. They look completely different. We're with Candy Leonard. Her book is Beatleness, How the Beatles and Their Fans Remade the World. We have to break. I'm going to take a look at the Billboard year-end Hot 100 singles and see what the context for the Beatles was in terms of other artists. Oh, okay. Initially, I kind of thought there were other artists that were rocking, but there really weren't many in 1964. No. I see. That's my mistake. I mean, there were girl groups. There were, you know, there was, you know, Bobby Rydell, you know. What, I mean, there were the crooners, a lot to, you know. Yeah, you're right. It was pretty slow, and the Beatles show up, and they are entirely different than what was there then. And right. I'll, and they're English, and they're cute, and there are four of them, so you could pick a favorite. Mm -hmm. And there was some hype around it, too. I mean, certainly, you know, there was a lot of marketing that, you know, that happened prior to their appearance on American television, but they represented something new. I mean, that they... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The American album, I think it was the second or third one, called Something New. Um, they were genuinely something new. Beatleness. All right, let's take a look at the context. You point out, Candy, that people think of the Beatles as affecting teens, primarily, but really... They were way younger at the time. Yeah, and this the, the, was kind of the first time way younger people had music of their own. That's right. I mean, we went from overnight from listening to, you know, like Disney records or Alvin and the Chipmunks to I Want to Hold Your Hand. And for 
I mean, I was seven and a half years old when when I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, and and you know, so the you know, so for the first time, you have children who are not only listening to their own music, but also tuned into a larger cultural conversation because during you know the 64 60 well throughout really the, throughout the 60s but certainly when they first hit it was nonstop it was actually the first wall to wall coverage of anything that you know they were on every magazine it's, they're all anybody talked about the adults the teachers your you know newscasters like they became a cultural frame of reference so if you're you know, nine or t- ten years old, and you're a Beatle fan. It was very empowering because you're part of this thing that's happening. You know, you're part of it. I don't think the phenom really was that intense in small town New Hampshire where I grew up. I mean, I think it was for some people because there was there were girls dancing in the in the grammar school to Beatles songs. But I was not moved to go out and buy a record till. Creedence Clearwater, Clearwater Revival, Cosmos Factory. That's way later. Yeah. That's much so later. I, yeah. it might have been just there were no record stores in my town. I had to go 10 miles away to get a record. Yeah. Well, I grew up in Queens, New York, uphill, and, and they had to drive through Queens, New York when they you know, came to the U.S. So, so it was your, like a local story for us. It was very exciting. Was your first record a Beatle record? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, I think it was. I, I'm pretty. I mean, I remember How buying singles. Well, could, because I'm. I. It might have been. Um, do you remember a song called "Just Like Romeo and Juliet"? Yeah. Yeah, that was. I, that might have been my first single. But see, my brother was buying the Beatle records, so I didn't all. I didn't have to buy them all. The okay. Time. But so, you could go up to Woolworths, you know, sixty nine cents, know. and you can get the single with I the mean, big, with the larger spindle hole for those mm-hmm. weird old record players. Mm-hmm. Let's take a look at the context. For the 64 Beatles, when they were massive in 1964 with multiple, multiple, multiple hits on the top 100, the rest of the world was pretty sleepy. Let's go with the Billboard year-end Hot 100 singles of 1964. And again, folks, chime in on any relationship you have with the Beatles. First record, Beatles talk. (laughs) Who's your Beatle? What's your talk? Number one, the Beatles. I want to hold your hand. Number two. The Beatles, she loves you. Big year for the Beatles. Then Louis Armstrong, hello Dolly. See, mm-hmm. it, it was a pretty interesting world. Well, you that's know. how AM radio was. It was like a variety show. You had a little bit of everything. Roy Orbison, Pretty Woman, The Beach Boys, I Get Around. Interesting, The Beach Boys are involved really early, mm-hmm. <laughs> early uh, in the scene, right? right. 1964. Yeah, and, and then shortly after you get the Supremes. Now the Beach Boys, and the Beach they were pretty... They had songs. They wrote them. I don't know if they wrote them themselves. Though they can you talk about how they were different? The Beach Boys. That, yeah, just the cultural. Well, the sound was different. I mean, they're you know very California. Um, the cultural know. perception of them was different. They're laid back. Well, I keep thinking about Whatever. that wonderful thing in, in American Graffiti when they're driving around. I, I can't say the word on the air. But just, I don't like that surfing. Um, yeah, um, you know, the Beach Boys had a very clean cut, you know, sort of collegiate, you know. And the Beatles, look. you say, did not? No. I okay, mean, see, I kind of, when I look at them, I think, gosh, they're clean cut. Well, yes, by today's standards. Cut? Well, again, I mean, if you look at, you know, how men, young men dressed, looked, certainly in the States, um, they they looked completely different. The hair okay. was was I mean, yes, to look at, you know, the early uh, 
Their hair was longer than everybody else's. Hair was one. longer. And that's right. The Beach Boys kind of had short hair, right? Well, yeah. I mean, nobody had hair like that okay. when they when they came. They Shortly were, after, everyone did. But at right. the time, no one did. And they didn't, and no one dressed like that. And these highly, you know, men didn't wear boots with heels. Men didn't wear highly styled suits. Awesome. You know, Pierre Cardin suits. Saddle so, row. Right. And so, and the accents, you know, added, you know, the, the sort of the intrigue, you know. And they, and they certain, came from this mythic place called Liverpool. Yeah, that's right. And they had a wit. Oh, they were very uh, clever and witty and... Uh, you know, and a lot of it certainly went over our heads as, you know, the kids. But, but they had, a, you know, there was just something about them. They, they pulled you in and you wanted to stay there because it was the most. They, you know, for the duration, you know, for their active years, let's say 64 to 70 as a, as a Beatle fan, there was nothing else in your life that was as interesting, as compelling, as fun, and as really useful for your growing, you know, as you grew up and learned about the social world and, you know, meeting people and, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend. I mean, they were, they provided a, um, well, like I talk about in the book, it's almost like an alternative curriculum to what we were learning in school. And there was nothing else True. as interesting. Let's take a look at what else is going on again. Uh, Dean Martin. Everybody loves somebody, <laughs> really. Mary Wells, my guy. Mm -hmm. Gail Garnett. We'll sing in the sunshine. Oh, I know that one. Mm -hmm. We'll. I don't want to sing it. Is uh, I now, want to sing it. What, I won't sing it. What uh, week are you looking at? There is that. This is for the year. Oh, for the year. Year okay. end. Hot 100 okay. singles. So. Because um, Leslie Gore's "You Don't Own Me," which was a great feminist anthem, was actually. Um, uh, uh, squeezed out of number one. It was number two, but it didn't go to number one because I want to hold your hand. Came bad right week at for that you moment. If you're not the, a bad year, if you're not the Beatles. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> right. Barbara Streisand, people. The Al Hurt. My father had Al Hurt records. Al Hurt and that honey horn sound he had. Then in at number thirteen and fourteen, the Beatles. Hard Day's Night. Love Me Do. The Beatles. Now. The people in charge of the Beatles knew how to make hay, et cetera. They were, how, how quickly did they crank out the records during this time? Well, I mean, the singles came, uh, I don't remember, every, you know, it seemed like every, you know, six or eight weeks there was another one. Of course, Capitol Records recognized that there was this captive audience of American kids who, who couldn't get enough. And so they, you know, as far as the albums go, they, they um, put together these collections for the North American audience that didn't even exist in the in the UK because they realized that you know the kids could not get enough of them. So these early albums that the American kids grew up with were you know they're now considered like not real albums because you know they, they were you know they they distort the artistic progression and you know it was, it was all you know crass commercialism but those are the records we grew up with so you know I mentioned something new before which was one of my favorite albums and it's still one of my favorite albums you have to get credit to the Supremes they managed to squeeze oh, yeah. two two songs in that year on this top 100 well at the I mean week by I mean the Supremes and the Beatles were you know just like always you know on the top 10 I mean you just very you know they were very strong presence. Other names that pop up in that time. Dave Clark Five. Yeah. Did bands like the Dave Clark Five suffer because of the Beatles or 
Well, they exist because well, were of they the Beatles. Helped by the Beatles. Well, they were helped by them. Dave Clark Five were on the Ed Sullivan Show something like eighteen times or something like that. Of the bands on the Ed Sullivan Show, where did, chronologically were the Beatles close to being the first? I don't know. Of bands yeah, in that like way, that. absolutely. All of a sudden, Ed yes. Sullivan felt the need to get all these bands on. Well, Was I think he he, he heard about the Beatles. He want he booked them as soon as he can, and and then when he saw, well, he booked. There were three. They were on for three weeks in a row. When in February of '64, the ninth, the what's the sixteenth, whatever, and and twenty uh, third. So they were on three times in February. So if you missed the first one, you went to school the next day. Everybody's talking about them. Well, they're going to be on again next week. Okay, so you had this like huge dose right off the bat, you know, and and it was just so exciting and so thrilling, and it was ours. It was like something that was yeah. really for us. And you felt you know? that at the time. Oh, definitely, definitely. You know what? I got. I got to say that I. I guess I feel like I, I was an outsider because I remember the girls owning it, and I felt like an outsider because well, I, I couldn't dance. They well, were all dancing like crazy. And if you're talking culture, man, a lot of guys in the fifth grade or whatever it was can't dance great, and all the girls can. I don't know why that is. Well, I, I think you know. It's, I mean, I, it's a very interesting question because that's still true that that women, in, you know, even as adults, like in general, like women are more into dancing than men are for the most. I mean, it's a little bit of a generalization, but I think that's still true. But um, well, I think boys uh, didn't quite know what to make of them. You know, in the book, you know, um, the Beatles or the girls. The boys, you know, they, well, I think there was, the, they didn't understand why girls were so excited about them. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, but yet, they some boys, you know, immediately started combing their hair down and wanting to look like them. Maybe this is a factor. The Beatles came before I was interested in girls, and they were off on their other thing. So I didn't feel the need to, to go along because I wasn't I was into baseball still. Let's go... To the much beloved, that's right, Chachi Lopret. Hi, Chachi. Bradley J. Dr. Leonard, how are you? We, we are well. Dr. Leonard's very well. I'm great. Thanks a lot. Thanks for staying up late. I know you don't usually stay up. Yeah, thank you for <laughs> staying up. I appreciate that. No, I stayed up for Candy because she is one of my favorite authors and uh, a Beatle authors, I should say. And you know, Bradley, it is a book worth reading. I've read it several times and I always enjoy it. It's a new angle on a subject that's been written about a million times as far as the Beatles, but it's a different angle in terms of it's about me, it's about Candy, it's about all the other kids that are first generation Beatle fans. And uh, it answered a lot of questions for me when I read it, because when I was a kid, a lot of times I was alone with my transistor radio. There were other Beatle fans I hung out with, but none that were so devoted, I, you know, than I was. And I was a 24-hour fan. And it answered a lot of questions, Bradley. You know, why did girls wet their pants when they saw the Beatles? You why know, did a they? lot of those answers. Why did uh, they? Dr. Candy? Leonard, do you want to well, ask you that later? Or, Chachi, I need to know. They were thrilled. They were thrilled to be there. It was a complete um, abandonment of inhibition, 
you know, and also, you know, there weren't many places in the culture at that time where girls could scream and, and let loose like that. So you're saying that they did that on purpose. It was not an involuntary act. Uh, I, I, it was an act I of joy. I think it was involuntary. It was, of course, it was involuntary. They didn't like purposely pee on the <laughs> you, scene. You said it was an act of joy. <laughs> no, I'm saying that they were caught up in the ecstasy of the moment, in the crowd, in the contagion of the crowd, and and you you know, it's like okay, the Beatles are all anybody is talking about, right? They are yeah. just like wall to wall everywhere. So you and your friends get to go and see them, right? You know, you get dressed up, and I mean, girls like had special outfits and some of them are even still wearing white gloves that's how the culture changed yeah. so quickly and so it was the most exciting thing in the world that you and your friends got to share that space with them even though you could barely see them down on the stage it was a thrill it was ex- it was an ecstatic experience so you know the- and and then you know for for the boys and I have a great story and I'm sorry to interrupt you Candy but the, one of my sponsors on my Breakfast with the Beatles show is Direct Tire and Auto Service and you both know Barry Steinberg the owner and Barry saw the Beatles in Forest Hills in 64 he brought a date and he told me the story of how he went to the show he's with his date he ended up leaving because it was because it was far too loud and she stayed. So <laughs> the boys acted, and he tells me that story proudly that he left. I'm guessing that and that so relationship I, didn't go anywhere. It didn't go anywhere, but it's just interesting how the boys reacted differently. Yeah, the, the boys, you uh, know, I think the boys were kind of a little bit bewildered by the whole thing, you know. And also that the Beatles, you know, here you see all the girls that you know are so attracted to them. And you look at them and, you know, you're a guy with a crew cut and you're, you know, and you're just like, look, gee, I don't know about this. But shortly after, everybody, you know, boys started wanting to look like them. Even boys as young as eight and nine years old suddenly started thinking about their appearance and what they looked like. Um, but the boys didn't really didn't get it at first. They, they're a little bit threatened because, you know, boys just didn't look like that. Chachi, why is it that you got it as a boy and mostly they didn't? Well, first, for me, I needed something more than, than what my parents and, and the other music that was on the radio at the time I needed an, you know something an escape that I could call my own and it was the music it was the the that you know I could be one of them yeah. I could mm-hmm. be a Beatle and that's what was the idea that got me into radio first it was I wish I was Ringo and then I used to listen to the radio and I'd say you know, these DJs are talking to the Beatles. If I'm a DJ, I can talk to the Beatles. And that's what made me want to be a DJ. And that started mm-hmm. before high school. I knew what I wanted to do because I couldn't be a Beatle, but I wanted to meet them. And it happened. Well, that's why that's why Rolling Stone magazine exists, because Wenner wanted to meet John Lennon. Really? So yeah. he started a magazine Absolutely. so he could say, I'm, I have a magazine? He wanted to, you know, it's about proximity to them, right? Yeah. So if you're... You know, getting back to the girls in the stadium, you feel close to them or you, you know, and even now, because I'll have, like you asked me earlier, have I met them? You know, there's this sense of wanting to be in their aura, you know? So, and, you know, like Chachi talks about wanting to go into radio, you know, a lot of, you know, so many boys started playing music, uh, you know, and then over time, the, the album covers became intriguing. A lot, I know a lot of Beatle fans who went into graphic arts or photography because of, you know, they they presented us with so, so much stimuli that 
it, it was something for everybody. Now, girls didn't pick up guitars, but, you know, they reacted in other ways. But there was something for everybody there. Yeah, Chachi, I know what you mean by... And, uh, I kind of The short version of what I heard you saying was the, Beatle, the, the music of the Beatles for you was a pathway uh, of hope to a better world, yeah. a more exciting world. Well, I think that's true for, for it, a, I mean, well, I'll let Chachi talk, but the the word that fans use is joy. Joy. Right? Opt, and and the, it was a very optimistic time, too, in the culture. So if you take that down to the individual level, they made you feel like you could do what they're doing. You know, that you and, could, and you know, Bradley, and you had mentioned this a little earlier, you asked Candy about it, how much they put out. You could look forward to a new Beatle album and a new 45 every six months and sometimes even more than that. And that whole period from 64 to 70, it was filled with, as Candy said, joy, because there was always the next Beatles project. Right. And waiting Beatles for that, album. Yeah, the anticipation, you know, people would, you know, in the book, you know, fans recall, you know, that they call, kept calling the record store, or is it in yet, or, you know, and going on their bicycle to buy it. I mean, the, the anticipation of the next record, what are they going to look like? What is it going to sound like? It, it became, it was, there were a constant presence in in our lives, day in, day out, for six years. And you know, the, the greatest joy that I got, Bradley, was going to my favorite record stores, and that's plural. I used to take the trolley to Watertown Square to a mom-and-pop store and buy the 45s. I would live at the Harvard Coop in, the, in 68, 69, buying all my music there. Discount records in Harvard Square, Briggs & Briggs, all those places became you know, special to me because that's where I had to go to get what I needed. It was it was great. It was a great time to be alive, to be a first-generation Beatles yeah, fan. It was. It was, it was you know, it, it's really, you know, I mean, one of the things I tried to do in the book was to capture what that was like because over the years, like Chachi said before, I mean, there, there are so many books about the Beatles. And, you know, I can't say I've read all of them, but I've read a lot of them. And having lived through that, I'm very... Uh, you know, I was just like, well, how are they describing this? Are they have they captured that joy, that 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 constant presence, that that feeling of of them being such a part of your life? And so I, I you know, that was one of the challenges for me was to really try to capture that. Chachi, kind of a follow up for actually both of you. I'll ask Chachi first. Uh, you were talking about a new Beatles record coming out. Oh, every six months or even yeah. more often. What is the first, or I'm going to assume there was one, but maybe I'm wrong, the first record, either single or album, that disappointed where you went, oh, no. The Beatles? Yeah. <laughs> I will be honest with you. I will be honest with you, and it's not exactly the Beatles, but I've no, I've, this just happened. Paul put out a song on, oh, on New Year's Eve at midnight. And I don't know if you heard it. I did hear it. But he it. uses, yeah, it's my first disappointment. And I hate to even say this on the radio, but uh, I didn't I didn't enjoy the song Get Enough, his new album. He uses an auto-tune on his voice. No! But during the Beatles, oh my there God. was never, there was never a Beatles release that I didn't enjoy. Right. It was never. They, Same with this, you? This, yes. And this is part of the appeal. They did something very interesting that had that later became sort of a, a business principle which is that 
you know, the idea of like you, um, d you create delight by exceeding people's expectations, okay? And they did that over and over and over again. So first they did it at the press conference when they first came and they showed, they displayed this wit and this humor and how clever they were at the, with the New York Press Corps. And so they exceeded expectations there. Then A Hard Day's Night, people, oh, it's just going to be a jukebox musical. They exceeded expectations there. So they, they, and they, for fans who were waiting for that next record, it, there was never any disappointment. It was always a thrill. Chachi, hmm. thank you well, very I'm, much. I appreciate you, uh, you taking the time to join us. Yes, thank you. Is my time up? No, I mean, not, <laughs> if you don't want it more, to be. Let me make one more point. Okay. And that's what's great about Candy's book. And you can talk about this after I hang up. But it, she talks about when the Beatles started growing hair on their face and how some fans mm -hmm. went to the monkeys and because they were afraid of the Beatles' change. So the book covers all kinds of aspects of the Beatles' career through the eyes of the fans. And it's a great book. It's in my top three, and I've read every Beatle book. Wow. It's called Beatleness, and that's Candy Lennon. She's the best. So thanks for having me on, and thanks for having Candy on. Of course. Thank you, Chachi. That is really interesting. That's very cultural, uh, cultural angle. People were, the country started growing hair, the Beatles started growing hair, and some people freaked out and didn't like them. I guess it's Candy Leonard. She's got a book that's Chachi Lopret's third favorite book, Beatleness, How the Beatles and Their Fans Remade the World. Wait a minute now. He didn't say it was his third. He said it's among his top three. No, I thought he said three. Third. Oh, among his top three. All right. Well, but so that you're could, saying that could be number one. Yeah, that's right. If, though, <laughs> if it were number one, why would he say among the top three? He would just say number one. I'm well, thinking. that's true. I wonder. But I'll take it. I'll take it. Chachi's yeah. been a, a big um, fan of my book since it came out, and I really appreciate his uh, enthusiasm. He and I were both, see, this is the thing, like, he and I were, are around the same age. So the, when I think that the fans who got the most, uh, you know, the, the biggest dose of this virus whatever you want to were really the children you know because like i was saying before th they gave us this opportunity to connect with our friends around something that was so special so exciting we were part of this bigger conversation the big kids let you hang out with them if you like the beatles so you ended up kind of being you know hanging out in mixed age groups which is also a new thing i mean they really changed our childhood overnight they really did so it was a key to being cool. It was a way to be cool. Exactly. And there was nothing more important than being cool. That's true. That's true. The cool factor. It was pretty clear the Beatles were it when it came to coolness and it when it came to hanging around with girls. So if you could find a way to get involved in Beatle world, you were cooler, which is a real big motivator. Now, as we take a look at the Beatles, your book takes a look at the Beatles through sort of sociological eyes. Chachi Lopret, who called us, and is also a... Beatle expert talked about how fans freaked out some of them when the Beatles grew facial hair. I never had even thought that might be a thing. But yeah. you uh, can talk about that. Yeah, well, you know, they, uh, the uh, video, well, now we call them videos, the promotional films for Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane aired on TV on in February of 67. And that was the first time that fans saw them look you know the psychedelic look and Did they lead the pack on that or were they just going along with the rest of society uh, rock society. they they led that okay. they they were at the cutting edge of that absolutely and so 
you know, we a lot of fans thought they looked like old men. They didn't like them. You know, they they, they you know there was this sense of ownership over them, which people fans yeah. still feel. So it's like those aren't my Beatles anymore. You know, a lot, some fans felt, and as Chachi said, and I talk about this in the book, that a lot of particularly younger fans, um, you know, that's when the monkeys, you know, just coincidentally, which was not a coincidence, because with Revolver, which was before, you know, it was still 66, they started to, you know, that was where you start to get some of the psychedelic sound. And, it, they, you know, so, you know, Tomorrow Never Knows, which is the last song on Revolver. There's a fan that I interviewed for Bean Illness who said, I didn't like that. And I was really upset because it's the last song on the record. That's what they left us with. You know, like it was, it was weird. And of course they were doing drugs at that time. And a lot of this music was influenced by drugs. So it, it, they were strange sounds. It was, it was a new soundscape and people, you know, and you think about a song like Strawberry Fields Forever, which we take for granted now at the time it was a really weird song it's i'm a bowie guy so when i think of how it's more difficult to be successful if you keep changing you lose fans i don't mean to insert bowie into everything i talk about but imagine how you got to really be special if you can change as much as bowie did and keep people well i think that you. i think that one of the things that our generation uh having grown up with the beatles and being involved with music we expect artists to change like i'm a big bowie fan too and I, you know, Bo, you know, he's a chameleon, all this change over time. But we um, expected that because, you know, like, what are they going to look like? What are they going to sound like? And, you know, there were, you know, we were saying before that they never disappointed. There were some fans who sort of sat out the psychedelic period. And then um, with Hey Jude, you know, they came back. And, and, of course, the White Album, which, you know, has danceable you know, full, like 10 songs on the white album you can dance to we were talking earlier about girls dancing which was a big part of that early joy was dancing to them and that came back with the white album too a lot of folks there may be nothing to this culture culturally there may be something something a lot of folks seem to like that i talked to seemed like john best first and then as they got older they switched to george is that a common thing? It is true for you, I know. Well, no, I my first favorite Beatle was Ringo. Interesting. And when I had an opportunity to get the little dolls, the Remco dolls, I wanted Ringo. Why? I don't know. I think I saw him as kind of... Cuddly? Cuddly. You know, he was off. He was kind of away from his friends. They were all down in the front. I don't know. He just, he, he, he spoke to me. He, he seemed like he like needed he a friend. Need, he needed a friend, exactly. <laughs> then when I, you know, hit puberty, of course, it was Paul, for obvious reasons. And then... Um, They're not obvious to me. <laughs> and then um, I guess most of my, you know, then I don't know, probably around college, whatever, I got into John. You know, it was John. For most of my life, I was it was John. Then, and of course, I was devastated when, I mean, as we all were, when, when he was, you know, taken from us. And then, but I, what I've noticed recently, even when I was writing the book, I was still a John person. Mm -hmm. But in my, you know, in the last, you know, the last recently, since I guess it's, you know, have, having hit the, the last, the most, my most recent milestone age, and I'm becoming more spiritual, George somehow speaks to me more. Ah, so do you think that is a common thing? That as people get older and can see the end, they become more spiritual and attach maybe more to George? Maybe, I don't know. I mean, I just, you know, I think that he and John brought something to that 
group, you know, to the four of them that, you know, sometimes I just describe it as they brought the weirdness. But that's, you know, it, it's more nuanced than that. But, you know, George brought this very, I mean, he was always kind of, you know, sort of curmudgeonly and always kind of complaining, sort of like grousing about something. But he also had this amazing spiritual quality, which, you know, came became more apparent as time went it. on. I feel that on uh, those melancholy songs. Yeah, you can, you know, and, and, you know, the, he, if you, you know, people talk about what is what their lasting legacy, I mean, I mean, separate and apart from music is the, you know, George left an incredible influence on this culture in terms of meditation and um, Eastern practices, yoga, um, you know, he opened people up to, you know, world music. I mean, the, the um, you know, each of them, I mean, they, they all contributed obviously but but the the lasting influence i mean even the drug stuff i mean now there's a lot of research now going on about with lsd as a um cure you know possible cure for depression or you know a therapeutic thing um and you know they were they kind of you know meditation i mean they they were seekers they were questing after enlightenment. You know, here, here you have four young men with all the money in the world, not wanting for anything. But yet, what they didn't just sit around and, like, play with their toys, although they did that a little bit. They, they were seeking something more, yep. you know? And they modeled this behavior, really, for their fans, who many of whom did get into meditation and drugs and, and all that. But they, they were sages. They were shamans. They were sages. You know, they were like... They weren't, you know, it was more than just my favorite band, you know. It was like they were, when I say my, I don't, I mean sort of generally. Like they were, they were teaching us things. They were exposing us to new ideas and new ways of seeing the world, um, which, you know, sounds very heavy. I mean, it was all in the context of fun. I mean, that was the thing about it. It was like, it was heart and mind. It was like intellectually stimulating. It was emotionally stimulating, aesthetically you know, the, the music just opened our ears to, to music, to appreciating music. So it, it was like a wraparound experience, you know, and it went on for six years nonstop. Thank you, Candy Leonard. Thank you for uh, putting out this book, Beatles, How the Beatles and the Fans Remade the World. And it's not like the others. It is different. It comes at the whole thing from another angle. And thanks to Chachi for checking in with us. You good? Did we get everything in? Did we get enough in? I well, I mean, as any Beatle fan knows, we can I could can talk about this all night. Anymore. But yes, I've enjoyed this immensely. If and, you can get this uh, book at a bookstore, it's really cool to go to a bookstore. I don't know if you've done it lately, but it's it's kind of fun. You might want to get this one and then maybe a classic. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. That was another Jay Talking podcast. If you loved what you heard, like and review the show. It helps others find us. Subscribe to the Jay Talking podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and never miss an episode. Follow me on Twitter for show updates, and as always, you can catch the show live every weeknight starting Sunday, midnight to 5 on WBZ, Boston's News Radio. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.